With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my We will not go gently. We're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. I'm going to play football. coming down from the gallows and I don't have very Ladies and gentlemen of Steeler Nation, welcome to the debut episode of the new Steelers Behind the Steel Curtain.com podcast. We titled it The Steelers Hangover. We're going to be doing this the day after every single game, and we're here to talk about nothing but the previous game. We're not going to talk about the upcoming game. We're only going to talk about the game that just happened. We're all experiencing that hangover today, but it's a good hangover after the Steelers demolished the Washington Redskins 38-16 to on Monday Night Football. I'm Jeff Hartman, your host, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. You know me from my uh, other work on the website and on our podcast platform. But with me is a good friend of mine, Brian Anthony Davis. How you doing tonight, Brian? I feel fantastic, Jeff. Thanks for having me on tonight. There's nothing like the day after a big win in Steeler Nation. Isn't that the truth? And the, the, the crux of this show is we want to hear from you, okay? Uh, on other shows, especially like my other show, The Standard is the Standard, we said we're going to put off all phone calls. Now is your chance to call in and make your voice heard. You can do that by dialing 347-850-8581. Again, that's 347-850-8581. If you're on hold, be patient. We will get you on the air. But whatever you want to talk about, if you're happy about the fact that the Steelers went over 30 points, talk about that. Upset they didn't get a sack? You can talk about that as well. Uh, before we get to any callers, and I see we already have one, but by all means, keep calling in if you're listening live. Brian, I wanted to get your quick recap on the game, what your thoughts were, positives, were there any negatives, stuff like that. Brian, what were your thoughts? Well, you know what? My first thought is when that game started, they felt a little flat, and I was really worried. And the way the Steelers defend the seam route with the idea of Jordan Reed going across the middle, I texted my friends. I said, this guy's going to break records tonight. That's how good he looked. But they adjusted. And the magic moment, the kind of moment that could define a championship season, happened on fourth and one 
when they faked a handoff to D'Angelo Williams and went up top to a double-covered Antonio Brown, and he pulled it in for the touchdown. It became 7-6 to six after the extra point, and that game was over at that point in my mind. Now, Ben said after the game, he said, you know, I had two guys wide open, but Antonio was my guy. I knew he was going to get it. That's where I was going. And that is going to define the season for me, and I'm feeling fantastic because of it. Yeah, it, that's definitely a play. And they actually ran that play. We're going to be doing a, a film room feature on this uh, in the coming days. That play they ran almost three times, and it was definitely, as you listen to John Gruden, if you were uh, listening to the Monday Night Football telecast, he talked about the RPOs, the run pass option plays, and that's one of them, and we're going to hide those. But you're right, that was a big play. I think you can point to some other key plays. Uh, D'Angelo Williams had some was great in short yardage on Monday night. He doesn't get the credit that he necessarily deserves, and he rushed for 143 yards, ridiculous numbers, two touchdowns. You all know those stats. Um, but the, the Steelers had played great situational football, in my opinion. That's something you hear Mike Tomlin talk about all the time. Whether it was defensively in the red zone, they stood tall. Whether it was offensively when they needed a first down, when they needed to really get that score to kind of put them over the top, they did that. It was exciting to watch. I think everyone that was watching the game uh, really got a feel that after a while, this, this team, it was almost like, you know, when you're working out, at first you kind of are a little stiff, and then all of a sudden you start loosening up, and you start feeling good about yourself. It almost felt the same exact way, and then it's just they put the pedal to the metal. So, um, again, though, the Steelers hangover is a new show. Of, of, it could be as long or as short as you want it to be. If you want to call in, you can do so. Call three, dial 347-850-8581 to talk to myself and Brian. Make your voice heard. Call in. That's what we want to hear. All right, let's get to our first caller. Uh, I know this number by the, the back of my hand. He's a, a Hall of Fame caller. This is Vito from New Jersey. How's it going, Vito? Gentlemen, good evening. It was a uh, great win last night. And, uh, you know, I was, looking to, I was listening to Mike Francesa today because you know, he had some people calling in, and they were asking him to compare Ben Roethlisberger to Eli Manning. And he said, any day of the week I take Roethlisberger in cold weather, I would take Manning. But he says the guy's had a tremendous career. He's a tremendous player, and he doesn't get the credit he deserves because of all the off-the-field problems over the years. You guys remember after they won the Super Bowl with the motorcycle almost getting uh, killed, and then, you know, the issue with the woman. I don't want to rehash that old stuff, but, yeah, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. And here's a guy like Kirk Cousins. They're paying $20 million, and he didn't look nearly as good as Ben did. So, you know, but, but my only thought, Jeff, is this. What happens four years from now when Ben's no longer here? Who carries that team? That was my first question. The second question is, and I guess the only reason why I was thinking about this over the weekend is when they said Marcus Wheaton was hurt. I was saying to myself, how great would it be if they had a number two guy like Emmanuel Sanders that they let get away? So those are my thoughts. But I think it was a great overall team performance. And if they're going to get to the big game this year, it's going to keep, take a team effort, and other people are going to have to pick people up when someone's not doing well. Yeah, I mean, to answer your questions, Vito, I think that you know the comparison of, of Roethlisberger to Manning, and even if you want to throw in Rivers all from the 2004 NFL draft class, um, that's always going to be there. It's always going to be talked about, and um, those are the only two of the three uh, that that have actually. I don't. I don't think you're going to put J.P. Lossman in there, even though he was drafted in that draft class as well. But he's the only one that's the only two that have won Super Bowls. Um, I think ultimately uh, they do things differently, 
and you could talk about all three the same way. Roethlisberger is a different quarterback. He's the type of guy that none of those Steeler fans are going to say they want on their team. He's tough. He has a big arm. He's more mobile than you think, whereas Eli Manning is more like his brother Peyton than people give him credit for. I think it's because he always has that dumb look on his face, that, that look like that he's Eeyore or something. That's what I've always considered him to be, you know, the the character from Winnie the Pooh. He kind of looks like Eeyore. He's always got that stupid look on his face, but he's a very good quarterback, and he has a good arm, and he, he's obviously orchestrated some great some great games, but uh, everyone's going to have their opinion. I think both of them are Hall of Fame quarterbacks, uh, and, and I think their resumes speak for themselves. As for the wide receiver situation, honestly, I thought last night it just really proved their depth. Now, Darius Hayward Bay was kind of uh, absent last night, and I don't think that was unintentional. I think that the Steelers were planning on going in without Wheaton, and they said, we're going to have Sammy Coates, we're going to have Jesse James. Jesse James, people are forgetting about it. He had a really good game. And then Eli Rogers and, and Roethlisberger targeted Rogers a lot in that game. Uh, I, I I know that I know what you're saying about Emmanuel Sanders. I know that it would be great to just have another guy to plug and play. And if they had Martavis Bryant on the roster, that wouldn't be the case. But it, they're they're dealt the the cards. Obviously, you got to deal with it. Uh, personally, I think that the Steelers, if you're going to have injuries, if you're going to have stuff like this happen to any position, this is the position that they can handle it. They're very deep at wide receiver. Eli Rogers, although a rough start. He did turn it on. He played well towards the end. Um, that's my take. Uh, Brian, what do you think? Well, when we're talking about Steelers wide receivers, we've got to give a lot of credit to the coach, Richard Mann. Uh, that core, it seems like they just manufacture wide receivers at this point. Now, we know A1, A2, A3, it's all going to be AB. Antonio Brown is a superstar. He's going to go down in history as one of the greatest Steeler receivers of all time, if not already. That's how good he is. That is a game changer that I have never seen on this team, and I am so thankful that he's there. Now, in the second position, I have been worried for the last two years that after this year that Marcus Wheaton will go the same route as Emmanuel Sanders. And after last night, I'm almost certain that's going to happen because I feel that guy is going to have a heck of a year, but there's so much depth, and they can actually afford to let that happen if they need to. When you're looking at the depth of that team, Sammy Coates is there for the long haul. Eli Rogers is there for the long haul. These guys came in as, uh, well, Coates not really, but Eli came in as pretty much an unknown, and he became one of Ben's guys already. And when you are comfortable, when Ben Roethlisberger is comfortable with a receiver, he looks for him early and often, and that happened at the very start of that game yesterday. It almost looked like after Antonio Brown, he was looking for number 17 all the way like it was back in the Mike Wallace days. It seems like that was his guy, and he kept going to him. So he has a lot of room to grow. He looked fantastic at times. He looked scary with some of those uh, balls bouncing off his chest. One uh, became an interception that was not Ben's fault. It was more of Eli's fault in my mind. And also then you have the, um, you have the uh, touchdown catch that looked like the Three Stooges. I was looking at the back of his jersey. I was looking for Curly, Moe, Larry, or Shemp. I didn't know who that was because it was like, whoop, the ball's flying in the air. He's lucky he got that back, but it was a great recovery. This guy is special. And uh, you, they have the depth on that team. With Hayward Bay there, you have the veteran. So you have a lot of room on that team. Uh, really not room for anyone else coming in. Martavis Bryant uh, presumably will be back next year. And I say presumably because you never know what's going to happen in that situation. But this is a very deep part of the entire Steelers roster. And I think they're in very good shape. 
I'd like to see Marcus Wheaton stay. I like him. But they have proved last night, more than anything, that they could go on without Bryant and go on without Wheaton. Yeah. Vito, uh, what do you think about that? A lot of information thrown at you. A lot of good stuff, guys. I mean, you know, yeah, no. But, you know, the sad part is we have yet to see a whole season with Bryant, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown. But the key, the key clutch guy last night besides Brown, because, you know, you know what you're going to get from him. Where would this team be if they didn't draft D'Angelo Williams last year, right? I mean, because he carried oh, them. Yeah. And just think of what he did last night. The question is, does he have enough gas in him to go those three games But while Bell is out? So I think what they'll probably do is they'll probably mix it up and bring in Toussaint and maybe somebody else to help out. Because, you know, if they're going to give the ball to him 25 carries a game, he's going to get worn out. You know that. Well, you know, the so, funny thing is, the funny thing is, Vito, is you bring up D'Angelo Williams, which, by the way, I think he would go on the list of one of the greatest free agent acquisitions in Steelers history easily, uh, just because of the way he's performed and the situation that he's been in. Uh, but you bring up his longevity slash his durability, and this is something that he actually said on Twitter. Now, I don't know if you have a Twitter account. If you do, I don't know if you follow D'Angelo no. Williams. He's very active on Twitter, but still, someone talked to him about him getting injured, him, you know, being an older running back, being 33 years old. And he brought up a great point. He said, LaShawn McCoy, I want to say, is maybe four years younger than him, but has more carries than him throughout his career because he's always been in that two-back set. So he has suffered some injuries in the past. He did suffer one at the end of 2015. I realized that. But nonetheless, D'Angelo Williams has proven that three games he can handle. If you give it the ball 25 times for three games, then when he when Le'Veon Bell gets back, I think they'll be able to maneuver themselves with the all that stuff, and I think they'll certainly be able to make make something work in terms of a two back set. But ultimately, I think that right now D'Angelo Williams is in great shape. He got very little work in the preseason. Mike Tomlin did a great job, I thought, with the veterans leading up to the year. But uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. He was a great acquisition, absolutely. So Vito, as always, we thank you for the phone call. Gentlemen, have a good evening. Thank you again. You too, no problem, Vito. Now, Brian, it's pretty interesting. You know, he brought up uh, the wide receiving core, and before we get to more calls, I just want to talk about this. The targets last night, it's always interesting for me to see that number. Uh, The receiving targets, listen to this. So, Antonio Brown's always going to lead this category with 11 targets. Uh, D'Angelo Williams had nine, although some of those, you know, those scramble plays where it looked like Ben just threw it at him, uh, it's not really a legitimate target, but it statistically is a target. Uh, Eli Rogers and Jesse James both had seven targets, and Sammy Coates had three. Um, I thought it was interesting. Darius Hayward Bay got zero targets, and Eli Rogers, seven targets. Uh, what, what do you think about the targets, how Ben was spreading the wealth, or did you not think he spread it out enough? No, I think he spread it out just fine. Uh, that was, I mean, you're talking about uh, five receivers there that got a wealth of, I mean, got a lot of targets. I mean, four guys got over seven targets apiece, and that's something I don't think we're used to in Pittsburgh. It seems to be one wide receiver getting the majority of the targets, and the other ones getting the targets when they can and being happy that they get them. So at this point, they're spreading the ball around well. They do have uh, – Ben has trust in not only Rodgers, but he has trust in Jesse James now. And going deep to Sammy Coates in the manner that he did, he, I think he has some trust in Sammy Coates. I mean, they, if you look at the yardage that these guys pulled down, um, of the five receivers that, that had catches, 28 yards is the lowest amount 
of yards of any of the five. I've never seen anything like that. It goes Brown 126, Rogers 59, Williams 28, James 31, and Coates with two catches for 56 yards. That's spreading around well. Well, and it's only going to be added to that list. I mean, there were games last year, but I think, I think he targeted somewhere along the lines of nine receivers at one point. That didn't mean they all had a catch, but they got a target. You figure Darius Hayward Bay is going to get some targets. Marcus Wheaton's going to come back. He's going to get some targets. Le'Veon Bell's going to get some targets. Um, all these players are going to be added to that list. It's only going to grow. Roethlisberger likes to spread the wealth as long as he trusts the receiver, which is what you talked about. We have a lot of callers. Please, if you're listening, stay on hold. Listen to the show. We're going to get you on. Listen for your phone number, though, because when we get you on there, I want you to be paying attention now. Phone numbers to tile in is 347-850-8581. Again, 347-850-8581. Be a part of the Steelers hangover. It's a good one this time. All right, let's get this next caller on the air. We have... Uh, three four seven four zero six seven two zero one. You're on with Jeff and Brian. Go ahead. Jeff, what's up? This is Bryce from Brooklyn. What's up, Bryce? How's it going, my friend? Uh, it's going well, going well. Um, good Steeler win. So, two points. My first point is it is great to see that finally the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm going to be modest here, have a top ten offensive line. That line has finally arrived. They are set up for success for a lot of years to come. Um, that's the story to me. Ben and A.B., excellent. We know that. Um, we know what they bring. Eli Rogers, a nice, pleasant find. That's great to see. D'Angelo's D'Angelo. But really, it's the tale of the offensive line. They knew they were better than the front seven of the Redskins, and they just imposed their will. And when you can do that and you can be you know, multidimensional, still it's going to be very tough to beat. No, I can't agree with you more, Bryce. I mean, I look at these statistics, and this is one of those cases where statistics do actually tell the story, in my opinion. Roethlisberger throws for 300. Williams rushes for 143. I mean, ridiculous numbers. And I, I, I honestly looked in the second half, and it looked like classic Steelers football. I'm thinking back to 04 and earlier when Bettis would just run the game out. And that's what they were doing with D'Angelo Williams. They were grinding the defense into a stump. I love watching that. It's just classic, hard-nosed football. But... The one thing that you look at with this offensive line is, like you said, number one, it's going to be intact for at least a couple more years. Uh, we're looking at least into, I think, 2018 is when one of them is considered a free agent. But still, these, this, these players, when they can run the same play over and over again and still be successful, you know you're doing something right. Now, my question for you, Bryce, before I throw it over to Brian is, in your opinion, and you call on the shows all the time, how much credit do you give to Mike Munchak with this offensive line? Oh, I give him a lot of credit, and, and all you have to do, and, and let me tell you something, let me also give a lot of credit to Todd Haley with his play calling, came out with the no huddle, slowed it down a little bit, and noticed I can be physical with this football team, I'm going to call run plays, and it really set the offense up. But Mike Munchak has been outstanding. My main example of that, Marcus Gilbert. Jeff, Brian, can you believe that we've gone from week two um, in 2014, the reverse pancake game with Doomerville to Marcus Gilbert basically getting screwed from the Pro Bowl. Yeah, that's a testament crazy. to him getting in shape and Mike Munchak. Absolutely. Now I think you might have called the wrong number because you just gave Todd Haley props, and that's not allowed. <laughs> no, you, you say that every time I give him some props. You say I've called the wrong number. <laughs> no, but honestly, I I like Todd Haley. I thought that he was a good hire when they picked him up. I was definitely in the minority. And I'm not saying I've never questioned his style, but he called a good game. Brian, what were your thoughts on the offensive line and the coaching staff? 
Well, right away, you mentioned Marcus Gilbert. He was pulling. He was trapping. He looked like he looked like a young guy out there last night. I when he was drafted in the second round, I remember talking to one of my buddies. We're like, this guy doesn't have any footwork. I mean, how can he be a tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers? And when they even when they signed him two years ago, right before the start of the season against Cleveland in 2014, I'm thinking, wow, we're investing a lot of money in this guy. But now. Bryce is correct. He did get screwed out of the Pro Bowl last year, and this guy has announced himself emphatically as a main cog on that offensive line. Now, when we're talking about the coaching, and we brought this up on Factor Fiction, I know Bryce and I, we've had this conversation, just the fact that (laughs) Mike Munchak was the guy who turned that entire thing around. And because it was when they won the Super Bowl, the 2008 season, how many Super Bowl winners do you have that the offensive line is a question mark and a liability? Now, I'm looking down that entire line, and I get excited at what I see. I do worry about depth if someone does go down, but the starting five, I think Bryce is being modest. I think top ten, no. I think top five in the league as far as yeah, I can see line. it. Yeah, the, yeah the, I mean, the depth, I... go ahead, Bryce. No, go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, the depth is a concern. You brought up a good point, Brian. I mean, even you're looking at interior. Now, hopefully, Mike Tomlin is very optimistic that Cody Wallace could return this week. So that's your interior depth at a guard and center. But tackle, my goodness, Ryan Harris didn't look good. If they even think about Hubbard or I don't know who, it's just bad. We'll just put it that way, a blanket statement. It's bad in terms of depth. So you got to hope they stay healthy. That's a big if at any position on any team, though. So, uh, Bryce, got anything else for us before we let you go? Yeah, 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 just real quick. Um, I will say I, I, I don't think Ryan Harris is terrible. I think he's good for his role, which is to swing tackle, to be a backup. Hopefully he doesn't have to play. <laughs> but, um, yeah. you know, they're going to run into that problem because they've got young guys that are going to start. They're going to have to find better depth. But my second point, Jeff, is our bugaboo is back, and we have to talk about this. This is the bad, uh-huh. Jeff, that outside pass rush. Oh, man, uh-huh. it's stinky. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 not good. And I, hey, look, Dupree wasn't there, but even with Dupree, he was a rookie, four sacks. But Jeff and I, Brian, have talked about this. This outside pass rush. I mean, they're supposed to eat when you get the Redskins down like that. They couldn't sack that guy one time. That is something that is a concern. They got to get better production from the outside. Well, let me ask you a question, Bryce. I don't know how well you keep up with the website, but did you happen to read my article that I posted around midday, maybe around 1 or 2 o'clock today, about the defensive scheme or the profession on night? Oh, oh, I did not. I'm sorry. Okay, that's okay. Try to check that out because when you watch the game again, you definitely see a trend. The Steelers did not blitz. Keith Butler, and I, I was watching the game, and I, I said to anyone that would listen, which is really I kind of watch games by myself now, is they're not blitzing. They're just trying to get – there was times where they right. were only rushing three men right. consistently. Now, you're going to see tomorrow when I, I'm going to display uh, the snap counts and the snap totals for the entire team, you can see the rotational aspect of things. Anthony Chiquillo and Arthur Modes did not play as much as Jarvis Jones and James Harrison. They threw out some really funky packages for Kirk Cousins because they knew he struggled with zone defense. And you saw James Harrison, sometimes an inside linebacker, and Cam Hayward go out to the edge. You saw uh, some really weird and funky stuff, and it was fun to watch, very unique. And it confused the heck out of Kirk Cousins, and that's why they were successful. But you're right, and the issue isn't – it's just the players that they have, I think, at this point. James Harrison can do his thing. 
Jarvis Jones. I, I think at this point we know what Jarvis Jones is. Uh, he's not going to change that much. It's just that's Jarvis Jones, and he's not going to be the, the double-digit sack guy as much as people think that a light a, a switch is just going to turn on. And then on the other side, Arthur Motes, he's a backup. I mean, he's a veteran guy. He has He's going to get his sacks from time to time, but he's technically a backup. And Shaquille, he didn't show much last night. But then again, he didn't get a chance to na- actually do that actual natural pass rush too many times. Um, so that's my take. Brian, what do you think about the outside pass rush? Well, you know what? I am still a Jarvis Jones guy. I still have the 95 jersey with Jones on the back. It's not Lloyd, I promise. <laughs> and I, I'm waiting for him to show up. And, you know, I, I think what you said, you're right. We, we know what we're going to get with Jarvis, but he is going to show up. He's going to make impact at times. Very valuable. On the other side, uh, Chicolo, I, you're right. He didn't get a chance. Um, it wasn't happening. Gruden brought it up that, that three men rushed the entire night, especially in the fourth quarter. They were they were letting them go with it, and they were they were staying back. They were keeping the defensive backs back, and the reason being is because you get a guy like Deshaun Jackson, if, if he gets past you, he's done, you're done. He's going to take it seventy, you know, up the right. seam. The same with Jordan Reed. That's a Garcon. That's a very talented. That's PFF ranks them as the third best wide receiving core in the league, and they shut them down pretty well. So I think the game plan was designed. Not to put that pressure on Kirk Cousins like they did, and exactly what happened. Well, and Bryce, yeah, Brian I'll, I'll brings say, up I'll a very good this. point. I'll say this, Bryce, and tomorrow you'll see this in the Snap Count article that's going to publish in the morning. Total, you're talking about nose tackles. Javon Hargraves the starter. Everyone thinks about the three-four defense with the outside edge rushers. Total combined, McCullers and Hargrave only played 23 snaps. Right. Hargrave had 13. McCullers had 10. And that just goes to show you that they used a lot of to it, maybe uh, to it Hayward, and then they threw an outside linebacker in there, and they just really moved people around. That's how Shazier was able to get depth and get that interception. Um, it was just a unique game. I'm with you that I, I know the outside pass rush has to be better, but I'm also going to give it a chance, see what they do in week two. They're not going to be able to drop everyone back against the Bengals. They're too good. They're going to get burned if they do that. So they're going to have to bring pressure. I think this week is the chance to really see what they're capable of. You brought up a good point. Mike Tomlin brought that up in the presser. You can tell once they got the lead and started playing to the run game, they, they sat back, played more of that shell cover two, and said, look, dunk it, you know, dink and dunk underneath, we'll come up, tackle the catch, and you'll take time off the clock. So, yes, I did see that. I did see James Harrison moving into the middle, dropping back some funky things. But I, I, I just saw the continuation, Jeff, of what we talked about last year, which is they have to get some type of outside pass rush in this defense because if they're going to be they're going to be married to just rush four, that means you're going to have to win some one-on-one matchups, and and to not get any sacks in that situation when when you got the lead in and should be hunting, that that's a little bit of a problem. So hopefully they can continue to get better and get that rectified. Yeah, absolutely, Bryce. Thanks for the phone call. We appreciate it as always. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, Brian, love Factor Fiction. You know, hopefully I'll be calling again soon. No, thank you. We'll be back next week. <laughs> All right. Go. Talk to you later. Take it easy. Um, so he brings up a good point. They were skunked with sacks, and, and no one ever likes to see that, uh, you know, not getting any sacks. It just it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? Nonetheless, that was a great call from Bryce. We appreciate that. Let's get to some more callers. We have a couple more people on hold. Again, if you want to call in, feel free to do so. We've got a while uh, still on the clock, 347-850-8581. One more time, 347-850-8581. 
All right, we're going in order here. Let's get uh, 607-743-3242. Ron with Jeff and Ryan. Go ahead. Sounds like you're busy right there. Hey, Jeff. Hey, this is uh, this is Fred. I'm sorry. Say that name again. I didn't hear it. Fred. Hey, what's going on? Have we got a question? Uh, well, yeah, I just wanted to uh, make a... Make a Comment something, something I noticed. I don't know if I heard anybody uh, mention it, but um, with uh, Ben, couple couple plays I saw where he really showed uh, himself to be a leader. And the first one was after uh, the interception to Eli Rogers, and uh, Eli came over, and you see Ben. Ben kind of walked over with his hands out, just like instead of like maybe. Pointing to him that he ran the wrong route or berating him, just kind of put his hands out like, "Hey, you know what? It's all right. It's all right. It's no big deal." So that way, I think Eli being nervous, you know, I'm not gonna yell at you. You're, you're gonna be okay. And another one was on uh, D'Angelo the last touchdown. And Sammy Coates comes in and uh, threw a nice block that helped spring uh, D'Angelo from touchdown. So it's just a wide receiver making a little sock block, but Ben comes over and smacking Sammy on the helmet saying, great job. So I think that's, we don't think it's going to have Ben going over to congratulate Sammy, letting him know that we need you to do other things, you know, besides catch the ball. And I think that just shows that Ben really understands everything, you know, about what makes the team going and that, you know, hey, maybe even if Sammy isn't having the greatest game, which I actually thought he did pretty well, um, but we still need your head in the game. We still need you to do other things. And uh, I think Ben, even though Gruden gave him props last night and put him in his pocket, a lot of people still see Ben as just that, you know, uh, uh, street ball, scrim brown, make some plays, and don't see him as the uh, the leader, like I say, of Peyton Manning or something. So, I think you're, those those plays could go unnoticed, but I think it really helped not only in last night's team, but just developing the, the team for the year with those two young receivers. You know, you're right, and we're getting some background noise, so uh, thank you for the phone call. Uh, appreciate, we appreciate it. You know, Brian, he brings up a really good point about Ben Roethlisberger, in my opinion. Um, Roethlisberger, people forget, in 2004, you know, the game two in Baltimore, Tommy Maddox goes down with an elbow injury. I still remember watching that play. Uh, and Roethlisberger comes in. I was really excited, and then the kid just rattles off. I mean, they lose that game, but after that, he doesn't lose again until the ASC Championship game. He's a re- he was a really young and really immature kid, and he carried around that stigma with him. A lot was what Vito talked about earlier um, in terms of the, the motorcycle accident, in terms of the, um, the the rape accusations and all that stuff that we don't want to dig up again. But at the same time, he has really turned into a leader on this football team, and I think what might have been the tipping point for Roethlisberger. It wasn't him getting married. It wasn't having children. It, it started a little bit before this, but I think what really got him going was when Emmanuel Sanders left and he goes to Denver and he makes the comments about, well, you know what? Peyton Manning is just such a better leader than uh, anyone I've ever been around, which in a roundabout way is calling out Roethlisberger. And I think the caller was exactly right. You, you see, You see quarterbacks all the time. Tom Brady's one of them where – if a, if a receiver does something bad, there are some times where it's like they're they're getting the wrath of hell on the sideline. And, and Roethlisberger, although he's going to let him know that 
that mistake was a mistake at the same time. He's doing it in a, in a way that is unique to him. It's, it's a way that a lot of people feel can be very effective. And he, he's giving these young guys a lot of props and a lot of, uh, you know, pats on the back and stuff like that. And that's necessary for a lot of these young players. You saw Eli Rogers looked really, really nervous. Rightfully so. Your first game on the road, a loud stadium. FedEx Field is huge. I've been there before myself. It holds over 85,000 people. It gets loud. Monday Night Football, primetime, national television you can imagine there's some jitters and you know, you talk to him and say, look, you made a mistake, not a problem. I know what Roethlisberger said because he says it in press conferences all the time. I'm going to come back to you. And he did. And he ended up scoring his first career touchdown, albeit by a deflection, but still it still counts. What were your thing? What are your thoughts on Brian, on, on Roethlisberger's leadership, uh, how he's matured his maturation process and ultimately how he handles his receiving core. I have a plethora of thoughts on this. First of all, your Emmanuel Sanders point when he left and said that, you know, that was the turning point. But something else happened around that same time. Heinz Ward left. Mm, Troy Polamalu is gone now. He did not really have to be the leader that he needs to be now. And so it became his team at that point. And he took the reins. And I, like I said, I love this guy now. He won this game not just on the field last night, but on Sunday night in the locker room. He brought this up in his, uh, in his press conference right after the game yesterday. He said, everybody's saying, how could we win without Le'Veon Bell? How could we win without Martavis Bryant? He said, hey, we've got, we have Eli Rogers. We have Jesse James. We have Sammy Coates. And he said that to these guys and let them know how important they are and how he is going to them and relying on them and what they mean to the team. And that empowerment really helped those guys go out and play. They felt like they had to feel like world beaters when, when they had that conversation from their quarterback. Now, we could go back all the way to 2004. Yes, he was very immature. And I've got a great story about that. Sean Sweezum, a lot of people don't realize, Sweezum was on the team in 2005. And uh, he lost the battle to uh, Jeff Reed. But he was in camp with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, he did not come back until 2010 when Reed was cut. And so I, I got this uh, from a buddy who was talking to uh, um, former Steeler punter Jeremy Kapanos, who was very good friends with him, and he was telling the story about uh, what Sweezen would say about Ben Roethlisberger. He said, 2005, this guy was, he was a goofball. He, he was the guy he didn't take anything seriously. He was, he was a kid. But when he came back in 2010, he's like, this guy's all business. This is a completely different Ben Roethlisberger. He's a leader. And it's, uh, it's taken a lot of people a long time to take notice. And I think people are finally taking notice. I think the national media is, is uh, starting to take notice. And I mentioned this in an article that we're running tomorrow. I think the national media and the NFL ready to – and a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this – ready to give the mantle to Ben Roethlisberger. Peyton Manning's gone. They need another it guy. Tom Brady's there. They want to add another one. And, and I know that's crazy to say they want to add one, but they want to have a face of the league. And I really think that uh, at this point in the career, they see what he's doing on the field. They're noticing thing, things. They want to push this guy, too. So I think if he keeps healthy, he keeps doing what he's doing on the field, keeps, uh, keeps being a great citizen off the field, I think you're looking at the MVP of the league, and nobody's going to have a problem anointing him whatsoever. You're seeing that in rankings now. They're saying he's an elite quarterback. I think people have taken notice, and they're ready to anoint him. 
Uh, it could happen. I mean, he's he's kind of turned himself into a reclamation project, not so much on the field, but certainly off it, um, from being suspended in, in 2010 for six games, decreased to four, and they end up going on to the Super Bowl that year. But um, he does a lot of good work off the field, and, and there's not a lot of talk behind it. He does a lot for uh, police officers um, and especially canine units. Uh, typically, whenever he travels to a visiting city, he will get the visiting city's um, – some type of canine unit, whether it's a dog itself, which can be very expensive, or whether it's uh, a, a equipment or, or utilities or something that they could use. He does a lot of good work out there and said, maybe you're right, Brian. Maybe the, the NFL's ready to uh, kind of give him a little piece of that elite quarterback mantle, but we know that they're not high on Tom Brady after all the whole deflategate thing, but that's for a conversation for another time. If you want to call in, the phone lines are still open, 347-850-8581. Again, that's 347 347- Eight five zero eight five eight one. Let's get to our next caller. It's been on hold for a while. We appreciate you holding. Six seven eight four six nine nine zero six nine. Go ahead. You're on with Jeff and Brian. Hey guys, uh, Nick Marietta, Georgia, and uh, hey. it was an awesome, awesome night last night. It was real good. Sat there with my sons, watched here in Kennesaw, Georgia, and good backers club. Uh, they had a good time. But specifically about the game. Um, I'll tell you what, you guys just uh, talked about Ben, the transformation, but I think the uh, MVP or somebody who deserves the most credit is Mrs. Roethlisberger because um, that guy totally changed once he got married, obviously. So uh, props to her, and you know most people overlook it, but she's uh, she must be a real special lady to be able to, um, you know, focus Ben to be a to be a you know great husband, a family man, and of course a, a team leader. Um, well, that's not the main point, what I want to say. And, and Incidentally, I think Martavius Bryant, if he has a hope at all in his life, is that he needs to find a special lady, uh, somebody to you know, give him the guidance on what's important. Um, but specifically about the game, um, the defense, I haven't heard many people talk about it, but uh, I'm very disappointed in Jarvis Jones. Uh, Jarvis Jones and Lawrence Timmons, how many times somebody's coming by and all they do is want to chip the guy, hit him with a shoulder, and they're not wrapping him up. And I just can't for the life of me understand how they – I mean, they've got to be embarrassed to actually watch themselves on tape and to see when they have great opportunities to wrap somebody up, and they choose not to. They choose to do this shoulder thing, which in the NFL you aren't going to knock many guys and take them down. You know, there's too many good running backs, too many good big wide receivers. You can't do that. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, Nick, thanks for the phone call. We always appreciate it. But, I mean, you bring up a couple good points. Obviously, you bring up good points about Roethlisberger and his marriage and how that helped him mature. And I, I can't agree with you more. I Marianna and Brian married as well. But, nonetheless, tackling was an issue with the Steelers. And a lot of people are going to say that the collective bargaining agreement is not going to allow them to have so many padded practices per week, and that's going to hinder their tackling ability. And that may be the case, but every report out of – uh, St. Vincent College in Latrobe this preseason or this training camp stated that it was a very physical training camp. They really worked on tackling, and for some reason, it's not translating to the field. And it wasn't just Jarvis Jones and Lawrence Timmons. Shazier missed a couple. Sean Davis, the rookie, missed a couple. I think Sean Davis might get a little bit of a pass being a rookie, but you're right, though, about the technique. The, the wrap-up tackle is a thing of the past. It's almost like in baseball. I always say that bunting is a lost art. It seems like now the wrap-up tackle is a lost art in the National Football League. It's very rare that you see guys 
actually going with their shoulder, with their arms out to extend, and then wrap them up to take them down. Um, even Mike Mitchell, I mean, he's a guy that's known as like a human missile who's just going to throw his shoulder. Ryan Clark did the same thing. And unfortunately, Troy Palomalo did, did that a lot in his time in Pittsburgh, too. I don't know if it's something that the coaches are just okay with. Depends on the player, maybe. But nonetheless, it, it does it does make your skin crawl when you see so many missed tackles. When you see plays where it could be a tackle for a loss and it gets turned into, even if it's only a three-yard gain, that's a pretty big swing there in terms of a minus three to a plus, a plus, plus three. Brian, what are your thoughts on that? You know, Jeff, I, I agree with Nick on this, but here's the thing. I don't think this is a Steeler thing necessarily. I think this is an NFL problem. And the reason I say that is I've watched other games. I I see this happening all over the league. You know, when you're going after a target that could run as fast as these guys could run and they're moving while you're trying to wrap them up, it's a lot harder to do. And I know they're leading with their shoulder, and but that's uh, that's ingrained in these guys. It's something they've been doing since uh, Pop Warner football and it seems like they're just not uh, getting the message that they need to get back to basics and, and and tackle better. But I don't think it's just in Pittsburgh. I think it's everywhere. Yeah, you might be right, Brian. I mean, to be honest with you, the, the NFL itself, I mean, tackling has definitely gone downhill in the past probably five to ten years. But um, it's something we hope the Steelers are going to improve on. It was week one. That's, that's I'm trying to be a glass half full guy for you here, Nick, and say that maybe, you know, the more reps they get, the better it's going to be. Uh, hopefully that fixes it. Uh, we thank you for the phone call, Nick, all the way from Georgia. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We have a couple more callers here. The lines are still open if you want to call in as well. It's 347-850-8581. All right. Let's get this next caller on the air. 347-605-7473. You're on with Jeff and Brian. Go ahead. Hey, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. What's going on? Uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, I'm actually, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings right now. <laughs> Celebration, uh, the wings, and, you know, the, the nice beverage here. Uh, yeah, it's Ken from New Jersey. Um, I, just, I, I wanted to comment. First of all, it's great. I, I'm not used to us being one and no week one, so it feels amazing. Um, I want to comment on one Ryan Shade there. Um, just his dominance. And it's not really – he's just like this guy's all over the field. And I was listening to the comment of Preston. He said, you know, we knew we when we scouted him coming out the draft, we knew that, he, you know, basically without saying that he might uh, miss some uh, some easy tackles just playing off of speed. But it's, it's really boom or bust, and it's more um, boom than bust. And I also want to give props to Robert Golden. I mean, he, he's like solid, man. Like, I'm, I'm he's making plays, and I'm thinking it's going to be Mike Mitchell in there or, or hoping that it's Sean Davis. And it's Robert Golden. The guy just comes, brings his lunch pail every day, and just makes plays. And he's just solid. He's rarely out of position. And um, he's a steady guy back there, kind of like a Will Gay, that um, that you can count on from week to week. So, in that in that that middle of the defense, um, that's something that, you know, it's going to get better, more communication as the young guys get get up to speed. But um, I, I don't think we should discount the impact that Robert Golden has on the defense. And, of course, Ryan Shea's there. He could possibly be all pro this year uh, if he stays healthy, obviously. 
Absolutely. We're getting a little bit of background noise, so I'm, uh, I'm going to put you on mute here for a second. I'll bring you back on in a second. But I want to talk about Golden first. Uh, Robert Golden was definitely a player that a lot of people had question marks around. Um, Sean Davis was drafted in the second round. People thought he'd be the safety week one. I never said that. I said maybe by the end of the year. Robert Golden played as if maybe this kid's not going to see a safety position all season, and that would be okay. That would be okay. Robert Golden signed a three-year deal before the uh, 2016 football calendar year started and before free agents, the agency began. There's one play that stood out for me with Robert Golden, and that was, I want to say, it was a fourth and fourth and six or, or something of that nature. And uh, it was definitely a, uh, a, a comeback route for the running back, and he doesn't get the depth that he needs on the route. And Golden comes up, and to Nick's credit, who just called in, he had a perfect form tackle. He wraps him up, drives him back, gets help from his teammates. They don't get the yardage needed, and it's a turnover on downs, which was one of, I think, two in the game for the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. But Ryan Shazier, I remember people talking about him as a rookie. They were calling him a bust. I mean, it's bad. And now, I mean, we're, we're talking about him as being a potential all-pro player if he can stay healthy. Now he had the knee, uh, tweaked the knee. Now he's very open, Shazier, that is, about I'm fine, no issues. I'm more of a, I'm going to believe it when I see it, not because of him, but because of Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin, his rookie year, he had a knee injury, called it a boo-boo. He missed a significant portion of the season. Last year, he had a shoulder. He called it a soft tissue injury. He missed a significant, he missed like three or four weeks with that shoulder injury, and it probably nagged him the rest of the year. And so now you had another dynamic game. When you look at Ryan Shazier's stat line from yesterday, it was pretty incredible. So he had, a, he had an interception. He had two pass defense. He had six tackles. Five of them were solo tackles. He had himself a game, and it wasn't as dynamic as last year's Week 2 game against the 49ers, but it was just kind of what you're accustomed to seeing from Ryan Shazier. Brian, your thoughts on Shazier and or Golden in their Week 1 performance? Well, when Ryan Shazier is healthy, he is by far the best defensive player on that entire team. And I'm telling you this, if he stays healthy this year, he is the kind of player that could be NFL Defensive Player of the Year. That's how good this guy is. The problem is he's a kamikaze. He's, he's like Palomalu was, but uh, right now at this point in his career, still a little bit reckless. But I was listening to uh, – I was listening to the uh, the post game show, and they were talking about how the fact that in his third year he is learning where to go, what what decisions to make, a, a whole lot better, and he's getting better at that. But then you see the injury report and see that he's being evaluated, and you have that concern all over again. If there was a way to put him in bubble wrap out out there, it would be fantastic because this guy is everything you want in a defensive player. This is the kind of guy that could have played in the 1970s. That's how dynamic and fierce Ryan Shazier is. I love this guy. He's the epitome of the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense for me. Now, if he stays healthy, he's going to go to the moon. That's how good this guy is. But I don't know if he's going to stay healthy for 16 games. Well, you never know. I mean, you hope. It's just like with Roethlisberger. I mean, they're very key to their their side of the football, but you hope he can stay healthy, that's for sure. But I'll say this, Brian. You said he could play in the 1970s. No one in the 1970s was moving that fast. That guy is faster than most <laughs> wide receivers. I'm telling you, um, that guy was – and he's incredible. So, uh, caller, I think it's Ken. Um, do you have anything else before we let you go? 
Um, nothing on this. Just um, I'm, I'm a little worried for the Bengals game. I think they're going. I think they're going to attack Ross Cockrell with AJ Green early. So yeah. uh, I'm a little worried about that. Uh, that's about wow. it. So thanks, guys. Hey, no problem. Thanks for the phone call. We appreciate Hey, enjoy your wings and your uh, adult beverage, probably. That's probably some good stuff. But, you know, the Bengals do pose some very unique threats to the Steelers' defense, and we're going to talk about that a lot um, in the coming days. Uh, obviously, Wednesday night, tomorrow night, will be my show with Lance Williams. The standard is the standard at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we're going to preview the Bengals' game. We're going to talk touch briefly on the previous game. We're going to give you all the information you'll need leading up to the Bengals games to make sure you listen to that, Ken. We have a caller waiting, but again, if you're listening and you want to dial in, you can. 347-850-8581 is the number to dial. Phone lines are open. Let's get this gentleman or lady. We've had women call him before. 413-475-4410. You're on with Jeff and Brian. Go ahead. Hey, guys. How are you doing tonight? Hey, what's going on? Um, well, so I watched the game last night, like most everyone else, and I was I was thrilled with how we played on offense. <laughs> on defense, we played well. We only allowed one touchdown, which I think most people have not talked about. And we didn't even allow a touchdown for like the first three quarters or two and a half quarters of the game. So that was that was really really good by us. But the the thing that got me was the no sacks, and I think that that just shows how much Bud Dupree is going to be missed for these first eight games or ten games or however much he is out. And uh, that's that's just going to really hurt us. And I just wanted to ask you guys who you think, you know, Chicolo, Jones, or uh, Arthur Motes, which one, which guy is going to step up in place of, of Dupree while he's uh, on the IR? Um, if I had to choose, I'd choose James Harrison. And even at 38 years old, the guy seems to defy the logics of time. Uh, but ultimately, you know, your, your concern with the pass rush is, 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 is rightfully so. I mean, they didn't get a sack. It's, it's rare in the National Football League a defense doesn't get a sack. But if you have a chance to whether you record the game or whether you see it another way on YouTube or whatnot, go back and watch the game again, and you'll see that this game, and it's going to sound crazy, they still should have registered a sack, but... If there's a game where it's going to pass, I feel like it's this one. They dared Kirk Cousins to try to throw into the zone that they threw at him, that cover two, cover three scheme in the back end. And they didn't know to do it. They were allowing him to dink and dunk underneath. They knew that if they tackled the catch, and they knew that if they held them to field goals and not touchdowns, that their offense is going to wake up. I mean, like you said, the defense only allowed them to score one touchdown. And on top of that, their offense was going to get rolling. You only get 16 points in this offense. That's, you're going to win. You know, there's not going to be many defenses yeah. that are going to be able to keep the Steelers off of 20 points. So it's going to be one of those deals where I think Steelers fans have to maybe adjust their expectations a little bit. Uh, it's not the Blitzburg defense. It's not the the Steelers defense. It was just so freaking suffocating in the in the 2000s with uh, Harrison and, and Woodley and all those guys. It's Troy Polamalu and Ryan Clark. I could go on. It's just not that defense anymore. It's the bend, don't break defense. And as long as they don't break – they're going to win football games. And you know what, Brian, what do you think? You know, for what we're looking at right now in 2016 and what we've seen in the past, that was a dominant performance by a defense yesterday, if you ask me. And the reason I say that is because we're used to 
like uh, caller mentioned AJ Green. We're used to seeing guys like that run up and down the field. We're used to seeing the Travis Kelseys, the Rob Gronkowskis uh, before he got hurt in the Seattle game. Jimmy Graham last year as tight ends just completely destroy the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tyler Eifert's another one, and you had arguably the best tight end in the league yesterday in Jordan Reed, and he came out smoking, and they just completely adjusted and shut him down. That is what we did not see last year, and that's what makes me excited about this defense, knowing that there's some new horizons for this team, and that was a great performance and one to build on. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, you bring up a good point there, Brian. Anything else, call up before we let you go? Yeah, I just wanted to... um touch up on so on Sunday the Bengals Ravens and Browns all played and I'm sure you guys have heard the news that RG3 um is injured and he's on the IR and I just think that's a little bit of karma for the Browns considering that (laughs) they essentially passed on taking Carson Wentz and then he goes out and smokes him for 300 yards and however many touchdowns and that's just that's just pretty funny (laughs) well the Browns are going to Brown but to me as a Steeler fan, as someone who follows the team as closely as I do, true karma would be if Justin Gilbert turns out to be an every-down player for the Steelers and plays well, and they got him for a 2018 six-round draft pick. If that happens, that's karma, and that's when Cleveland fans might just say, you know what, bags over the head, I'm done. And I know there's yeah. a lot of fans that have said that before, but that would be ultimate karma. But, hey, we thank you for the phone call. Appreciate it. Yeah, Paul, have a good night. Hey, you too. So, yeah, I mean, we can talk about Cleveland all night. It's just comic relief, in my opinion. I mean, talking about the Browns. I mean, it's, it's the Browns. It's kind of like Allen Iverson when we used to say, we're talking about practice. I say, you know, we're talking about the, we're, we're talking about the Browns, really? I mean, come on now. But uh, it, the phone lines are open. We're, we're going to wrap up the show here shortly. But if you still want to call in, you have time to do so. It's 347 850 8581 again, 347 I'd say that so far, Brian, the Steelers' hangover has been a, a rousing success. We've had a lot of great calls, some great insight from the callers, and it's the first time on the show. Like, uh, I've done it for years. What are your thoughts on the, uh, the format and, and the people calling in want to give their opinion? You know, this is exactly what I signed up for. I love talking about the Steelers, win or lose the next day after the game. I have so much I want to rehash, and you know, these callers have brought up so many things that some things that I wasn't even thinking of. So, you know, I'm really excited about it, but they failed to bring up one thing that nobody talked about, and I'm interested to hear opinions on it. So if you don't mind if I throw it out to you. Go ahead. Okay. Antonio Brown, the no catch. Did you mm, think it was a catch? Yeah. Um. By the letter of the law, no one knows what a catch is anymore, but I'll say this. Um, I, I thought that when it was reviewed, first, it, and, and this is always the case, so folks, whenever you're looking at a review, the first thing you have to understand is what is the call on the field? Everyone thought it was a fumble, but then they overturned it on the field and said incomplete pass. So the Redskins then challenged. There just wasn't enough evidence to say that he made a football move and it caused a fumble. Do I think that it was a football move? Yes. I think he was planning his inside foot. He was going to roll outside. He had the football on the inside hand, and it got stripped. But ultimately, because of the call on the field, there was not enough evidence to overturn it, and there's no football move. No one knows what that is either. 
I think that I was okay with the ruling, not because I'm a Steeler fan, but because also I realized that the officials have to be able to have indisputable evidence to overturn it. What did you think, Brian? Well, you know what? I, I, these days, I don't know what a catch is. And I, <laughs> I'm used to the 1980s, the 90s, the 2000s when men were men, catches were catches. And so when I saw yeah. that last night, I immediately thought, oh, no, because I <laughs> – I was shocked when they said the rolling on the field was an incomplete pass because, to me, I feel like the Steelers got away with one yesterday. And it wasn't because of the Steelers. It was just because of the circumstances, what the referee saw. You're right. There was not enough to overturn it, but I thought he made a move, and I thought that was clearly a gift. And one thing we know as Steeler fans, that doesn't happen in our favor very often. So that was a nice one to see. So I'm not going to give it away. But I'm just going to say, wow, we got lucky. Well, you know, Frank Sinatra and many others said, luck be a lady. And the funny thing <laughs> is is that last night they had a lot of lucky breaks. I mean, the the botch, the, the strip of Ben Roethlisberger where Ryan Kerrigan looks like he's going to scoop and score somehow ends up in Marquise Pouncey's hands and they retain possession. That's a big play. Um, then you had, obviously, the Antonio Brown play. You had the Sammy Coates off him, off a defender deflection thing. You know, but sometimes it all evens itself out. So you look at the interception by Eli Rogers runs the wrong route. Most would say that's luck for the the Redskins. Um, you look at uh, different plays like Ross Cockrell dropping an interception that goes right into his hands. That's kind of luck on the Redskins side. It kind of evened itself out. But in my opinion, luck was a lady, and she was wearing black and gold last night. We got a new caller. Let's see if we can get this person on the air before we call it a night. Four one two five nine five six seven nine eight. You're on with Jeff and Brian. Go ahead. Hey, guys, this is MJ from Pittsburgh, man. It's really great to get on the line with y'all. been listening to your uh, show for a long time now. now yeah. So I figured I'd give you guys a call and check you guys out, man. Yesterday's game was, man, it was awesome. I was, it's kind of weird because they started off with a 1-0 and record. Like, I just, <laughs> just really just felt so weird, but it was amazing. You know, one thing I really enjoyed I think was just the situational football and, and really kind of see the team's gears kind of rolling as they're going through each of the different situations that they were put under and um, really kind of making some solid decisions, whether it was from the sideline or making decisions on the field. And you see, you know, just like an improvement from the a year ago where, you know, there was like all kinds of weird mistakes and, you would see people, I mean, and obviously it's still early in the season and, and there's a lot of mistakes to be had, I'm sure, but just the fact that they were able to kind of process through, you know, they didn't panic, you know, because there had been times I felt like last year and some years past where, you know, if they make a mistake, man, it's over. If they make an interception, uh, if they lose the ball or turn the ball over, it was going to be a, a really tough tough match to come back through and uh, I just think they just showed their mental toughness overall in the game what do you guys think MJ I totally agree with you I think that in my opinion that's a reflection of their head coach and a lot of people give uh, Mike Tomlin a bad rap for whatever reason but he's the guy that is always going to have his team ready and I know that he's had some bad losses but that's not always on the coach um, one thing I want to mention is you, you mentioned how you're kind of surprised it doesn't feel right that they're one to know it's been a while and I was just thinking before the game yesterday, I said to myself, and no one in particular, I said, this team is due for a run. I mean, I think 2010 might have been the last time where they actually won maybe their first three games 
Um, I think that was when Charlie Batch and Dennis Dixon, when Ben was suspended, they went out to a 3-1 and one record. I mean, this team is due for a run. They haven't really gone on those four or five-game winning streaks in a while. Maybe they start off the year hot. You know, I mean, you look at the teams coming yeah. up, the Bengals. The Bengals are going to be tough, but they have them at home. No Vontez perfect. I think there's going to be some matchups that are on Pittsburgh's side on that game to Philadelphia. Rookie quarterback, you don't know. Kansas City Chiefs at home on Sunday right, night football. Right. Le'Veon Bell comes back. You never know, man. Brian, what are your thoughts on that? Not only has it been rough the last couple of years, even when they won on opening day, especially in 2014 when they played the Cleveland Browns at home and got off to a great lead, and they just kept coming back on them. And next thing you know, they win the game 38-35, to I believe, and you left that game happy that they won, but feeling like that sinking feeling that this isn't good. This That defense just gave up, up a lot to the Browns, who at that time really had nothing at receiver either. So, you know, it, it just felt different last night. And it felt it just felt like there's something special about this team. I know it's just week one, but that fourth and one, I'm telling you, that is the that kind of play. That's mm-hmm. the kind of play that defines championships. And I know I'm jumping the gun here, but that just felt right. Every time they lined up, they lined up twice for fourth and one, and both times, in the past, I would have been like, ugh, what are they doing? Both times when they lined up fourth and one, I'm like, yeah, they got this. And that's the way it felt. So there's something just different about this team. There's something that feels magical about this team. Last time they had, you talk about Ben being suspended um, back in 2010, they ended up going to the Super Bowl that year, albeit losing to Green Bay. But, you know, it feels the same way with Le'Veon Bell. And when he comes back, they're going to be a lot stronger. They're going to have a two-headed monster at running back. I'm excited at what the fortunes of this season can possibly be. Absolutely. I, I mean, I was even thinking about the schedule and how it's set up from here on out. I mean, you know, you have, like, this really amazing – like, the first five games, they're not going to be, like, you know, give me games, but I feel like – they'll be able to progress as the, the games go on. Each team will present a lot of different opportunities, different situations. I think in a lot of ways that will play to the strengths of the team and allow, like, particularly the secondary to kind of, kind of you know, prepare down the stretch for, like, the, the heavier receiver teams like the Patriots or, you know, you got the Jets, you got New York at the end of the season, and who knows what Andrew Luck's going to do. So, We'll see. I, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a really fun season, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm excited. Absolutely, MJ, and uh, thank you for the phone call, man. I'm glad you called in. Hopefully, you call back again next week. For sure, man. Thanks. Hey, no problem. So, Brian, I think that he brings up a lot of good points, and what we both kind of talked about. It's been a while since the Steelers started the year really well, and they got off to the right the right. They're on the right track right now. That they got off on a good foot. Then. Uh, Gosh, that's easy for me to say. Uh, nonetheless, I think it's really important that we, uh, as Steeler fans, keep a level head, though. You know, you're waxing poetically about the Steelers in the Super Bowl. It's week one. Let's calm down, Brian, all right? Don't, <laughs> don't go flying off the handle just yet. Don't go booking your tickets to Houston, as Tunch Ilkin might have said back in 2005. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Brian, final thoughts before we call it a show. My final thoughts are, one, I love the hangover. I love talking to the the callers, and this is a great thing. But we need to move on from this week. And you're right. I don't need – when I say move on, we need to – 
forget about yesterday now and look forward to week two against Cincinnati and keep that momentum going. And that's what I think this team can do. I'm really excited about the makeup of this team. But like you said, it all comes down to the head coach and how he leads this team. This is his 10th season as the head man in Pittsburgh. He is, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Steeler coaches, albeit there's only been, in my lifetime, there's only been two guys hired. And uh, Chuck Noll was uh, there two years before I was born. So this is, a, this is like I say, I, I know I'm waxing poetically, but I'm excited about what's happening with this team. Stay healthy, keep your eye on the prize, and keep going. Absolutely. And as I typically end all our shows, I thank all the callers for calling in. Brian, I thank you for your time. I thought it was a great debut show. Make sure you check out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com for all your Pittsburgh Steelers needs. We're going to have some great film room articles coming up this week, tomorrow and Wednesday. And Thursday, we're going to preview the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, looking at their offensive line. They gave up seven sacks against the Jets in week one. We're going to have all that for you. BehindTheSteelCurtain.com is the place to be. For Brian Anthony Davis, I'm Jeff Hartman, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. We'll see you next time on the Steelers Hangover. Bye. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, Seems smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.